0: We've seen this story play out a million times before. Someone gets that entrepreneurial fire blazing inside of them only to have it quickly extinguished when they find themselves faced with indecision, fear, lack of direction, or simply any sign that failure is afoot. So many of us stop at the first sign that a profitable, life-changing business might not be possible for someone with no prior business experience. Well, first, let me say that experience is not a prerequisite for starting a business, but willingness to learn, to get uncomfortable, and to fail is. And if you're looking for proof that failure and discomfort are both a prereq to stoking that entrepreneurial fire, let me direct your attention to the incomparable Matt Edmondson. A guy who admits to having had more failures than successes, he states humbly that his successes have simply outweighed his failures, and he makes it abundantly clear that in a world of e-commerce, entrepreneurship, the two are rarely sold separately. From shipping popcorn with his products instead of bubble wrap to generating $50 million of revenue worldwide from his own e-commerce website, Matt proves over and over again what's possible when you start an online shop. He helps people uncover what they can sell to the tune of a collective $100 million of revenue generated from his e-commerce students, And he shares his brilliant strategies that you can implement in your own business to stand out in a super saturated and noisy industry. This conversation is the complete guide for anyone who is ready to start and scale a product based business online with our fearless leader and super down to earth guy, Matt. You're going to learn a lot and I think you're going to have some fun today too. So let's just dive on in.
1: You're listening to the Workshop Weekly Podcast, the show where no dream is too big and no topic is too small. Around here, we believe that taking imperfect action rules. So we're creating space for you to dive in and fast track your success one workshop at a time. Now, refill your coffee cup, grab your notebook, and get ready to join in on your weekly training, listen to meaningful conversation, and learn from industry
0: experts. Here's your host, Kelly Lawson. Hello, Matt. Welcome to the show. I am so excited to get down and talk to you about e-commerce today. How is it going in the UK?
1: Thanks for having me on the show, Kelly. It's great. It's cold. It's wet. It's windy. And we're in lockdown still. So (laughs) all things considered, there's definitely other places to live. But you know what, I can't complain. So no, we're doing okay over here.
0: Amazing. Sounds very similar to here. So shout out from across the ocean. Matt, why don't we start with having you introduce yourself? Tell listeners how you came to be an e-commerce guru. (laughs)
1: Well, it all started, like most good things do, by accident, uh, completely unintentionally. In 1998, I mean, we're going back some, a friend of mine came to me and said, listen, I think I need one of these websites. Do you know anybody that does them? And I knew one company, one company did websites back then, and they charged a small fortune. And so I said to him, well, I know this company over here, they're going to charge you a small fortune. I said, but there's some software I'm sure that you can buy that will help you. It was called Dreamweaver back then. So I said, if you buy that, I'll figure it out. And then I'll do the website. You buy the software, I'll give you the website for free. And it's like, cool. I was like, cool. And so this was a long time ago, 22 years ago now. And so it started from there. And a few years after that, we did our first e-commerce business in 2002. Again, I wrote all the code for it. And what can I say? Fast forward 20 years, we've turned over tens of millions of dollars where we've shipped products all over the world. We've Bought and sold businesses, but none of it was designed. None of it was intentional. It was just like there was an opportunity, and we kind of went, All right, let's have a go at that and see what happens. And that honestly was the whole background to the story. One of our most well known websites is a beauty website here in the UK called Jersey Beauty Company. And we launched this website in 2006. Okay. And we launched it in August 2006. And we thought, you know what? If we could sell between the end of August. And the start of 2017. So, those four months, if we could sell like 10 grand's worth of products, we would honestly have danced a jig. We would have been like, we've hit the jackpot. Well, we didn't sell 10,000 pounds worth of product. We sold 400,000 pounds worth of product. It went absolutely nuts really quickly. And so, up until that point, we'd done a lot of e commerce stuff, but it felt like we were stumbling along. And then at this point, we were kind of thrust into a whole different league, if that makes sense. And so, yeah, we've been riding the wave ever since. I'm not going to lie. It's fun. It's great, especially now with lockdown. But yeah, it all started by accident.
0: It's a really great place to be stuck at home, just running an amazingly successful business on the internet right now. I think you're probably the envy of the majority of the world.
1: Yeah, I appreciate. I'm a very lucky chap. And (laughs) let me tell you, I count my blessings every day. I think that's a phrase. And I do. I wake up and go, oh, thank God I'm in such an industry as this because I know a lot of people have it a lot worse than I do.
0: It's true. It's true. So to be fair, you started on your e-commerce path when it was a dinosaur. I mean, 22 years ago, like just give us a little bit about what it was like then compared to how it is now.
1: Oh, it was chalk and cheese. So when we launched our first e-commerce website in 2002, we launched it and we were like how do people even find us? And so we just told Google we were around and instantly we were number one on Google. Just like that, because that's how it worked back then. You could do that. And people kind of were starting to understand what Google was and... Facebook wasn't really a thing. And so it was complicated, let me tell you. The worst thing about it was the delivery mechanism. So when someone purchased a product from you, actually getting it to them was an absolute nightmare. We would have to take their parcels. I would literally at the end of the day, every day, go to the post office, stand in the queue, get each box weighed And then pay the postage in cash. So I could then post that out to the customer. And of course, the Royal Mail, as good as it is, was absolutely rubbish for e-commerce back then, because no one knew what it was. We kind of had mail order catalogs, but that was about it. So yeah, it was a very different world. It was a lot easier. I mean, it was a lot more complex in some respects, but it was a lot easier because no one else was doing it. The competition was so small. And in fact, the first e-commerce business we did, we bought some products off a friend of mine. I was just like, I'm going to write an e-commerce website. I don't know what I'm going to sell. I know a friend over here has got some products. Mate, can I sell your products? He's like, yeah, sure. Have at it. Go for it. And it's not how we advocate you do it now, by the way. But this is what we did. And six months later, he bought the business off me because it was doing so well.
0: Amazing. I love these stories. So back to your early success when you set up for that quarter and you really wanted to make that 10K and you blew it out of the water. What do you think made the difference there? What happened that shot it up above the bureau at that time?
1: That's a really good question. And again, a lot of this comes down to right place, right time. And 2006, again, the internet was very different to what it is now. And Google was very different to what it is now. Andy, who's my business partner now, when the website started, he called me. He's like, Matt, we've got a sale. I'm like, how have we got a sale? Who in the world knows that the website is actually live yet? Somebody somewhere somehow had found it. Those kind of stories don't really happen now with Google just picking up a website and putting you straight on number one. So I think we were right place, right time. I think we were a little bit lucky. We were a little bit ruthless in some respects. We saw an advantage that we could exploit. So Jersey, I don't know if you know about Jersey. Jersey is a small island off the north coast of France. It is independently British. And Andy lived on Jersey and it had these gyms. He had two gyms on Jersey, and in Jersey was some beauty products in his gyms, which he sold, you know, these beauty products. One of the brands was Dermalogica, which is quite a well-known professional skincare brand. And so we were like, well, let's just sell that online and see what happens. And he was like, yeah, cool. But the reason we wanted to do something from Jersey was Jersey had a bit of a VAT quirk at the time. So they didn't have to charge VAT or sales tax on items under a certain value when shipping to the UK. So it was like the UK could buy tax-free. And it became really popular, Jersey, as an island for people like Amazon who wanted to sell DVDs because they were all under £20. And so you could sell them a little bit cheaper than people in the UK, but make more profit because you weren't paying 20% tax. And so we saw a little loophole that we could maybe take advantage of here. So we set it up in Jersey. We had Google on our side. I mean, we weren't crazy on the prices, but what we were okay the email marketing rules were very different <laughs> back then than they are now. You could just email anybody and it was fine. And that's practically what we did. And so that's basically how it grew, you know, and it just, yeah, it was crazy overnight. And so you couldn't do a lot of what I've just talked about now, by the way, if you're listening to the show and think, oh, I'll just do all that. No, don't you'll end up in jail. <laughs> it's a very different story now.
0: Things have changed a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Because yeah. the people like me.
0: Yeah, yeah, because of people like you. Hey, I mean, sorry, everybody. My husband and I call people like you Jonathan. I think we learned that from Jim Jeffries. Actually, he's like, "Thanks, Jonathan. Like <laughs> you did this thing, and now we've got this legislation <laughs> yeah. against it. Thanks a lot." Yeah, thanks, but buddy. I mean. Appreciate it. Fair enough. I'm sure it wasn't just you. And now we've got the infrastructure to make it a lot easier. I mean, I'm sure that you didn't create and set up your e-commerce website in a day like a person can do now.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. there were very different times back then. And in fact, the first website we did, the first Jersey Beauty website we did, I actually wrote the code for that. Which gives you some indication of actually how bad it was if I wrote the code, right? Because we have a team of people now who write code that work with me, and they're amazing people. They just don't let me anywhere near code these days. I mean, it's just like, no, Matt, this is just not going to happen.
0: <laughs> you touch it, it'll explode. I feel yeah, like I yeah, have yeah, a similar yeah. touch with coding. So now that we've got all this infrastructure in the world, there's Shopify's and Etsy's, and I'm sure that you could list them off much better than I can. What do you recommend as a good platform or a good setup to use for someone who? who might be just getting started with e-commerce?
1: That's a really great question. And the answer to this is it really depends. I don't think there is one specific platform that's going to do everything for everybody. You have to understand, one, what it is that you're going to sell, and two, who you're going to sell it to, right? Who's going to buy it? So what experience is it that they're looking for online, right? So if you've got a potential customer that's going to come to your website and they've got a certain experience that they're expecting, Your website has to deliver that. And so what's the best platform that is going to deliver that experience for your customer? And that, in a nutshell, is how you choose. Okay, you don't go and go, I like that one, or that one's a little bit cheaper, or that one's a little bit better over there. I'm like, what does your customer need? And then let's start there. And then we can make the best platform choice. So Shopify is worth looking at. Squarespace is worth looking at. I probably would avoid sites like Wix, Personally, I don't have anything against them. I'm just like, I just wouldn't for e-commerce. The two platforms that I use all the time or potentially would use all the time would be either Shopify or a platform called Curious Digital. I'm probably like 99.9% now Curious Digital. I'm not ruling out that we would never use Shopify again. Shopify is great for what it There's They're some of the platforms that we use, but there's a bunch out there. Figure out what your customers want and be there and give them that experience.
0: Absolutely. And is there one that you find is easier to use than another? I mean, given that you're not a coder?
1: (laughs) I think Shopify is probably the easiest to use out of all the ones that I've tried. That and Squarespace, actually. Squarespace is pretty straightforward. But you've got to remember, my background is coding, right? I've been doing websites since 1998. So I understand them. So I think in some respects, it's a better question to say, which one would your mum be able to use out of all of these on the market? And I think Shopify would be one she could cope with. Squarespace would be one. Curious Digital is a little bit more advanced. It's got a lot more features on it, but at the same time, it's really straightforward to use. But I think Shopify is probably a little bit easier if you're really scratching the surface on your technology knowledge.
0: Absolutely. I can attest. I actually put up an e-commerce website about two years ago. Full disclosure, I made exactly zero dollars and zero cents. However, I was able to set the website up in an afternoon, and I wouldn't identify as a tech-savvy person. I'm not afraid of tech, but I don't have that background. My background's actually in healthcare, so go figure that one out. But I'm wondering, though, because maybe I stopped too soon or maybe I didn't give it a fair chance. I really just kind of looked at the bottom line and went, this isn't working, goodbye, and kind of moved on. But what metrics should people be looking at when they have an e-commerce website other than... The obvious one.
1: Yeah. And that is a really important one, obviously, is turnover, but actually, more importantly, profit. So, there's a lot of metrics to look at. I mean, let me ask you, Kelly what was the website you were doing? What was the e commerce site? Yeah, it was Shopify. So, you were doing a Shopify site, and what were you selling on the site?
0: I was selling digital products, so photography guides and things like that.
1: Okay. And did you find it easy to get traffic to that website?
0: I did not.
1: Okay. So the reason you stopped it was a traffic issue rather than a Shopify issue or a wrong product issue, maybe.
0: Well, it could have been a traffic issue. It could have also been that nobody wanted what I was selling.
1: So I think these are really interesting metrics. So the most common complaint I hear from Shopify store owners is simply this. I have traffic, but I have no sales. So what tends to happen, as best as I understand it, right, is Shopify has this great onboarding process whereby you can build your website and they show you how to use things like Facebook ads to generate traffic. And so a lot of folks will go out, they'll build a Shopify website, they'll spend four or 500 bucks trying to generate traffic to their website, and they in effect make no sales and they kind of go, this isn't working and they'll walk away from it. I think it's like 99.9% of businesses will fall into that category somehow. So it's a really interesting metric to me is, if you've got people coming to your website, but they're not buying your product, your fundamental problem is either you are sending the wrong people to your website, or you have got a product that nobody wants to buy. And usually it's the latter. So if you have products that people don't want to buy, it doesn't matter how good your website is going to be, it's going to be awful. So metrics you need to think about are how many people are coming to my website and how many people are buying, right? These are the fundamental things that you need to look at. So traffic plus engagement, right? What are they doing on the website? There's a lot more you can get into beyond that, but they're the main ones that you have to look at. How many people come into my website? How many people are buying?
0: And what are some sort of benchmark conversion rates that people should expect like at what point do you look at that and go oh something's not quite working i'm going to need to tweak this or do something different
1: sure and again this is where you just want to spend a bit of time doing a bit of research on google right so just google conversion rates e-commerce conversion rates for whatever industry you're looking at so in certain industries you will have conversion rates as low as a few percent jewelry is a classic one is sort of two three percent conversion rate so you can benchmark against those kind of rates you've got things like supplements. They tend to have lower conversion rates. But then you've got sites that maybe are a bit more boutique, local websites. They tend to have much higher conversion rates. They have much lower traffic, but they have much higher conversion rates. And so you've got to know what you're benchmarking against. And so because there is this big raft, there's not any magic number that I can give you. But if you'd spend a bit of time researching, you'll find out exactly what a good benchmark for your industry is going to be.
0: Mm-hmm. Very good. And I know that it varies. I think a lot of our listeners are often selling things that they're making themselves, or they're reselling local products, or they're a brick and mortar retail business that they've found themselves in the throes of a pandemic where they're forced to close their doors and in turn forced to put their businesses online. And they haven't traditionally been online in this capacity. So what do you think about sort of that category of entrepreneurs? What sort of metrics or conversion rates can they be expecting for traffic versus sales?
1: Yeah, again, so let's say you're making jewelry at home. So the first thing I'd do is I'd go and Google conversion rates on homemade jewellery. And I'm going to imagine it's going to be like 2 3%. I think anything over that, you're probably doing quite well. Or if I'm a traditional bricks and mortar store and I'm selling products that actually you can get nationally, well, we can then look at the conversion rates for those products nationally. We can get some idea using, for example, there's little bits of software out there like Jungle Scout or John Tilly, you know, he's a great guy, John, I really like him. He's got a little Amazon platform as well, which is just looks superb. And what they do is they tell you how much of a product Amazon is selling right? So you can see what Amazon's conversion rate is, which is very useful data. And so with a little bit of research, understanding your product, what it is, what market is, whether it's homemade, whether it's bricks and mortar, whether it's a national thing or a local thing, you can understand what those rates are going to be. Just don't expect them to be high. The highest conversion rate I've ever seen on a website was 23%. Typically, they're like between three and 10%.
0: Yeah, I mean, 23%, one in every four people is making a purchase. Like, that would be pretty good. So it sounds like it's very much... A numbers game. And really, the goal then should be to get as many eyeballs and as much traffic. I mean, obviously, the right kind of traffic on your website is humanly possible. So what methods do you recommend that e-commerce entrepreneurs use to get that traffic and to get those eyeballs on their products?
1: Yeah. So there's these seven pillars of e-commerce marketing, we call them. There's seven different things to think about. I think if you're a local business, if you're a brick and mortar store, if you're making stuff at home, you can't neglect things like the power of putting a poster in your shop window. Do you know what I mean? Everyone's looking for a silver bullet, but it's these little things that count. Like we wanted to help the local guy down the road do the corner shop thing. And he's got a great little corner shop, but it's like, how does he survive during the pandemic? So the thing that he could do, and was a really straightforward thing to do, he could get 4,000 little mini flyers printed off for next to no money, just deliver them around the neighborhoods where he is, just basically saying, listen, you can order your groceries on our website, you can either do click and collect or we will deliver for free to you because they're in the local community. And our deliveries are going to be between four and five every night. So if you order before three o'clock, we'll get it out to you same day kind of thing. And the power of that is unbelievable, right? Especially if you're local because you're pulling in the local community. If you want to do something bigger, if you wanted to reach nationally, you're going to have to look at things like Google AdWords. You're going to have to look at things like Facebook ads, although that's changing quite a lot at the moment. But don't feel like you have to jump straight in Those kind of things. I was telling this story the other day. One of the things that we did a few years ago was we launched a skincare brand, okay? Now, in some respects, I have a little bit of an advantage because I own a skincare company. I already have an email list of over 100,000 people, right? So, But when we started this skincare company up, I'm like, let's try and do this as a startup do you know what I mean? Kind of guerrilla marketing tactics. So what we did was we literally went onto Twitter and we were like, right, let's do a search on Twitter that comes up every half an hour with the results. And let's do this. Anybody that puts on Twitter something to do with their skin, let's see what they say. And so you'd get people like, my skin's just feeling really dry this morning. It's amazing what people put on social media, right? (laughs) The stuff that they write. So, my skin's feeling really dry today. So, we would just contact them and say, Hey, listen, sorry to hear your skin's feeling really dry. Can I send you some free samples of a product? Because I think once you've tried this, you are never going to go back to the skincare that you used. If you just go to this website, put in your details, use this special code, you'll get those for free. So, have at it. Well, let me tell you, it didn't cost me a single thing other than I had to sit there on Twitter and obviously connect with these people. And so, we just did that for a few hours a day. And that's how we built the skincare company. So, there are these tactics and these ideas that you can have, fundamentally, the long-winded answer to a simple question is this. Find out where your customers are and go to that place. If they're on Facebook, go to Facebook. If they're in a Facebook group, go get in a Facebook group. If they're on Instagram, go do Instagram. If you're a local business, get a local hashtag, put up the posters, do a leaflet drop. Do you know what I mean? Where are your customers and how can you best connect with them? bam, that is everything you need to know about marketing right there in a simple sentence.
0: Yeah, and I mean, well, how innovative for you to have sent out these sample kits to everyone. But at the same time, you took a little bit of a risk there, right? Because you needed to absorb the cost of those materials and the shipping and obviously your time as well. But it sounds like in this case, that worked out really well for you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate I make it sound more simple than it actually is. We sunk the cost of the samples instead of spending the money on marketing. So we were like... It's going to cost you. I was having a conversation with a company three days ago, right? It costs them 23 pounds to get a new customer. Okay. 23 pounds. Now that's whatever it is, 30 some dollars, right? Let's say it's 35 bucks to get a new customer. That's some profit you've got to have in that first order to generate that money just back on. If I took that $35 that I'm currently spending on Facebook ads and I put it over here and spent say 10 quid on creating something that's really remarkable and give that away, are they likely to become a customer? Yes or no. And so it's a really interesting way of thinking about it. You don't just have to go down the traditional Google Ads, Facebook, especially if you're making stuff, especially if you're a local business. It's such an advantage that you have over the big boys that you can be that creative.
0: So you bought a fancy camera or you're thinking about buying one, because it's clear to you that there is no shortage of beautiful moments or things in your life that you'd like to capture beautifully. But the record scratches because all the dials and buttons and settings are standing between you and your life in stunning photos. Well, my friend, I have just the fix, the ultimate photography starter kit. This free resource includes a recommended equipment list, quick start checklist, and a beginner's guide to creating natural poses and candid moments to give you the confidence you need to dust off that fancy camera and start documenting your moments so they can last forever. The Ultimate Photography Starter Kit is completely free and it is everything you need to get started. So grab yours today at kellylawson.ca slash starter kit. That's kellylawson.ca slash starter kit. And I can't wait to see your framers in my scroll. Tell me this, because... I think that we're all relatively familiar with the fact that repeat customers are kind of where it's at. Somebody's bought from you once and we were just talking a little bit about the cost to acquire a customer and we know that it's significantly less if it's a repeat customer and that that's really kind of where a lot of bread and butter can come from. So what advice do you have for people who are maybe struggling with e-commerce or just getting started with e-commerce for tapping into those repeat customers, repeat sales?
1: Yeah, it's such a great question, Kelly. I think When it comes to e-commerce, certainly in my head, our acquisition strategy for customers is I want to break even on their first order, right? So if it costs me, say, 23 bucks to get the client, I want to make sure that that first order at least generates 23 bucks of profit so I break even. Because I know full well that if my systems and my thinking and my marketing and my customer experience and the product are all bang on, this customer will buy from me again. So much so that 60% of my revenue comes from repeat customers. Okay. So we work very, very hard to encourage people to buy from us, not just once. And I think it's such an important strategy. And so one of the best things that we did, right? I'll let you into a little secret here. One of the best things that we ever did was simply change our packaging, Okay, so we kind of have this product, right? So let's take something like Dermalogica. We have a product which people know and they're very loyal to that skincare brand, right? Ladies, especially, you will know if you have a skincare product, you are not changing for anything if it works, right? Am I right?
0: It is a fact. However, I have recently changed, so I'm very
1: interested. Okay, well done. So we take advantage of the fact that we know that people aren't probably going to change. And it's actually very difficult for me to get people to change. We've tried all kinds of various different things. So we're like, how can we make the whole experience better? And so there are a bunch of people selling the same products on the website at a similar price. How do I differentiate myself? And so what I did was I ordered the products from all of my competitors. And I recommend you do this on a regular basis if you're in e-commerce. Order from your competitors' websites, right? And whenever we do coaching with customers, the first thing we do, I just go on a shopping spree and buy stuff from everybody's website. It's brilliant. And so the products arrived. I'm interested in knowing how quickly they arrive, what courier they used. Was the courier nice or was he a complete moron? What's the box that they've sent it in? What does that look like? Do you see what I mean? How do I feel when I get this parcel? What's going on? And so you've got to remember Right. The first time that somebody gets the parcel that you've sent them, unless you're selling digital products, but if it's a real product and you're sending that to somebody, the first time that that delivery person hands it to them, that's the first time they've touched anything real. Everything up until that point has been make-believe. It's been pixels. Do you know what I mean? They're just kind of acting on a whim that hopefully somehow in faith, you're going to send that stuff to them. And so you've got to make this experience count. And this is where, again, if you're a local business, if you're handmaking stuff, you can totally kill it and compete with the likes of Amazon because they can't do this. They just send it in a brown box with brown paper and they don't care, right? We were aware that when customers were buying this skincare product, it was like they were treating themselves. It was like a gift, that they were buying for themselves, right? If you're spending whatever, 50, 60, 70 bucks on a moisturizer, it's a gift. It's not a necessity. You're wanting to feel good. And so we are like, let's make this a gift feeling experience. So what we did was we put our products in a box, which had a beautiful message printed on it. We wrote a really nice story, which we put on the box. All our competitors were sending them in the Jiffy bags. Do you know what I mean by that? The padded envelope type thing.
0: Okay, yeah. We don't call them Jiffy bags, but I like that.
1: What do you call them? them?
0: I think we just call them bubble packs. I don't know. I actually don't know what we call them. We don't have a fancy name
1: for them. You know, just well, use the word jiffy. It's fine. Yeah, we're going to take that. You just use that. So all our competitors were sending stuff out in jiffy bags. And we were like, well, let's send them out in boxes because we wanted to differentiate ourselves. And let's take that box and let's put the products inside and let's wrap the whole thing in tissue paper. So when you get it, you feel like you're opening a gift. And then we really, really understood our customers. They cared deeply about their skin, but, and quite rightly so, over time, people have become more environmentally conscious, right? And so we were like, how can we do that whole sustainable thing so much better? And we were brainstorming, let me tell you, for weeks, months about this, what could we do? And then we had what I called the jackpot idea. We decided to send all our parcels out in popcorn. So that became our packaging material. We took out the plastic bubbles, we took out the brown paper, we just used popcorn, right? It was cheap, it's biodegradable, it's lightweight, it protects the products, and it's fun. And we just wanted to be associated with all of those kind of values. And so we bought... We bought a shed load of popcorn machines, which we took into the warehouse. And I actually built this sort of structure that put them in because it stunk the whole warehouse out. And so we had to build this filtration system to take the smell away. But we sent these, and we still do, we send these parcels out in popcorn. We get regularly on social media, people taking photographs of their packaging because they're like, this is amazing.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure a little bit unexpected too, right?
1: And that's the point, right? It creates that feeling, that sensation. It's unexpected. It's a bit of a unique story. And so guess what? People buy from us time and time again, because when they go to our competitors, they get Jiffy bags or bubble wrap, right? What do they get from us? They get a gift experience in popcorn.
0: Amazing. And- obviously not buttered popcorn.
1: (laughs) I know, that would just be wrong on so many levels. We get so many emails from people. We had one lady, she was lovely. She sent us an email with a photograph saying, oh, this is amazing. Love the popcorn idea. Me and my grandson enjoyed it. We had to write back to him and we had to change the stickers on the box saying, please understand this is not created in a food safe environment. (laughs) (laughs) Please please don't eat this. Feed it to the birds or put it in your compost bin. But do not eat this popcorn.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's great. I'm sure she probably wasn't the only one who ate it. She's just the only one who told you that she did. (laughs) Uh, We
1: had quite a few people tell us actually. And so we were like, no, 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 we definitely need to put a little note on there saying, don't eat it.
0: Yes, but how brilliant, though, to come up with something so innovative and unusual and unexpected. I mean, I'm sure there's all kinds of other things that you could send packages and I'm already thinking, like, what else is non-perishable like that? Could it be cereal? Like, I don't know, corn puffs? Like, whatever. That's just brilliant.
1: Whatever works for your customers, right? And whatever makes sense for them. We have tested so many different types of corn over the years now. <laughs> We're an expert in popcorn for packaging.
0: <laughs> it's brilliant. And really, I think you answered my next question nicely. My next question was going to be, how do you maintain that positive customer experience when everything really kind of does happen in pixels to a certain point? So it sounds like you really found something that set you apart for sure, which is brilliant and creative. Are there any other tips that you have for listeners that they could do to enhance that customer experience?
1: Yeah, totally. I think, and again, the power of the small is where this works, right? So you can do something that the big guys can't because everybody that's doing massive warehouses, they've got everything automated. It's all robotic. It's all machines. Doing simple things like putting a handwritten note in the order. Instead of sending, when you do your email marketing, if you've only got a few hundred customers locally, email them from you rather than just like an email list. You know, like everyone gets emails from newsletter at or hi at or whatever, and it's just boring and dull. And if you think about how many of those emails come into your inbox, you just don't read them. Whereas if you got an email from Kelly at, and it's much more personal, it's much more authentic to you, Makes all the difference. Michelle, who works with me, she's worked with me for a long time. She's awesome, Michelle. She runs a beauty company now. We needed some lighting in the office recently. And so Michelle's like, we're going to buy from this website. And I'm like, that's interesting. Why did you choose that website? I'm always curious. What was it about that website that you liked? They have pictures of their dog on the about page. That's what it was. That's honestly what it was. And their Instagram feed was more about the dog than it was about the products. And she loves dogs. So guess what? We bought our lighting from that website. Now, I don't know if they were the cheapest. I don't know if they were the best value. We didn't care because they had dogs. And now if you ever want to buy lighting, right, guess where Michelle's going to go? She follows the dog on Instagram. And so you can do all of these crazy, mad things, quirky things to connect with your tribe, to connect with your community that no one else can really do. And so find something that really works for them. What do they want? What's going to help connect with them? And just make a way of doing that that's not burdensome on you, but actually makes a massive, massive difference to your customers.
0: Absolutely. I was giggling because I was thinking about my girlfriend who has an e-commerce business that saw a lot of success over the last year. And she used to handwrite the notes, ask the customer if they'd like to have a handwritten note to accompany the gift to go to the recipient of the gift. And she really kind of got caught up realizing like people have some really long winded things to say to (laughs) each other. (laughs) And then I was thinking like, oh, it would be such a fun joke to just copy paste the lyrics of my favorite song. Send it as a gift to someone.
1: (laughs) Somebody has to write it out. What is it? The longest song? Is it that Hallelujah song? And they did so many verses. It's like,
0: yeah. So I guess whatever it is that you're doing, make sure that it's something that you can sustain at least to a point. And from there, maybe it's time to get them printed and just sign off on them or something like that, just a sentence or two. So I have to ask the question because I'm a photographer and I have a product photography course. How important. And I feel like I just set that up a bit too loaded. So all biases (laughs) aside, how important is good product photography to the success of an e-commerce website, given that the experience exists in pixels, like you said, up to a certain point?
1: Yeah, it's super important. And the more expensive the product, the more important it is. And so we did things on our website, like as well as showing the picture of the skincare product, we showed pictures of the actual box that it came in. This is a box you throw away 20 seconds after you get the product, right? But people want to know what the instructions are on the back. We can put them on the webpage, but they want to see them. So we did like 20 photographs just around the box and the products. And so I think it's super important to have really good photography. Now, let me caveat that by saying actually doing high-level photography now has never been easier. And you can do it with, I don't want to preempt your course, obviously, but you can do it straightforward with a mobile phone these days. It's not complex. And so you need a mixture of the sort of the product shots, you know, with a white background that people expect, a mixture of those with lifestyle shots, somebody holding the product, somebody smiling and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I think product photography is a massive deal. I think product video is becoming a bigger and bigger deal Mm -hmm. too. And so another way to differentiate, do videos about your products. Absolutely,
0: and our course actually has lessons about using your mobile device to take product photos because recognizing the fact that it cuts down your workflow significantly and the fact that the latest version of the iPhone has a brilliant camera built into it, so that's all good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is. We did this test in our office, actually. I was so convinced of this. We set up in our window a little white table with some tissue paper on the window to diffuse the light, and I took some photos with my smartphone tweaked them in Lightroom and then sent those off to a client versus the photos that were done in the professional studio. I won.
0: Did you? Amazing. The things that we have at our disposal now for taking great photos and great videos, it's easier than ever. Like back to the beginning of our conversation when you were saying Google shot us up the ranks and we were so lucky to have the ability to do that and none of this legislation was in place. Well, okay, that part came easily for you, but I'm sure that the production and the photography and things like that were probably a bit more tricky back in the day. (laughs) Yeah, they were. <laughs> so I need to ask if there's any e-commerce websites that inspire you. And also you have a free masterclass that we're going to need to talk about as well, because I think that that offers a lot of value to listeners to get access to all of your expertise and all of your secrets. So let's start with talking about your masterclass.
1: So yeah, if you want to know more about the masterclass, we have an e-commerce course where we deep dive into everything. I mean, properly deep dive. We did this course at the start of lockdown to help the guy who was a shop around the corner. And we got a whole bunch of folks in on a live webinar and recorded it and it was great. And so you can definitely get access to that. Just head on over to the website, mattedmondson.com and just follow all the links there. It's really straightforward.
0: We'll make sure that we include all of that in the show notes so it's really easy for listeners to access. And I'd like to hear a little bit about, since you're teaching this to other entrepreneurs, do you have any success stories that you'd like to share or even any e-commerce entrepreneurs that you admire, that inspire you, that listeners can take a look at?
1: Yeah, I mean, you could talk about Jeff Bezos, but Jeff Bezos is Jeff Bezos, right? It doesn't apply to me. It's not in the same league as me. And I mean that with all due respect to Jeff. The guys that inspire me Honestly, the guy in the corner shop who decided, you know what, under lockdown, I'm not just going to sit down and take this. I'm going to do something a little bit different. The restaurant guy who put his menu online where people can order and then do click and collect and he stands on the road as they come past and delivers their products. He's not making as much money, but he's doing something. And they're the people that always inspire me, the people that just go, you know what, life's hard. I've got a problem. I need to deal with it, face it head on, and I'm going to do something about it rather than just sit back and take it. The most inspiring people in my life have been friends who, for whatever reason, had great misfortune, who had to deal with cancer or had to deal with the fact that they couldn't have kids. And I just sit back and go, goodness me, the way that they have dealt with that and the fact that they are so sweet and graceful. You just kind of go, love that.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what is one thing that listeners can do today to take the biggest possible step into e-commerce success?
1: For me, it all starts with product research. So if you're going to do one thing today, I would figure out what product it is you're going to sell online and I would research that product online. Who else is selling it? How are they doing it? What does their website look like? Go through their website with a fine tooth comb. What stands out? What needs to be changed? Buy stuff from their website. What worked for you? What didn't work for you? Find out if Amazon sell that product read all the reviews, find the positive ones and the negative ones. Look at the language, look at how people are feeling about it and do that research. Because in doing that research, you are going to get such a mind of information. You are going to get like, what content do I put on my website? People ask me this all the time. What content do I put on my website? Well, simple. I just go to Amazon, I find the product, I read the reviews and see what people are writing about. I find the common themes. I take out the exact phrases they use in the reviews Let's write about that because this is what's on the customer's minds, right? And so do that research. If you want to be successful online, 99.9% of people fail at this first hurdle and they don't do the product research. They just throw up a website and they put their products on there without really thinking about it, hoping it's going to work. And that's why most people fail. Fundamentally, you have to do that research.
0: Absolutely. And even hopping into the comments of someone on Instagram, for example, who's a competitor is another way to see what language people are using. And I always thought of it as like a poor fellow's way of doing market research, because for those of us who didn't have a market research budget, it's the best way to do it. And I like to look at the three star reviews, because the thing that I noticed was like, sometimes the five star reviews were maybe a little too glowing. And the one star reviews, well, those people maybe aren't happy with life in general, but the three star reviews, always seem to have nice, reasonable feedback. And that was kind of what I always looked to when I did that type of research. Matt, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for generously giving us your time today and sharing all of your secrets. I mean, there were some really good little tidbits in there. Like you've definitely got my creative juices flowing. So (laughs) that's the aim. Hopefully the same is true for listeners. And I can't thank you enough for coming on today.
1: Oh, it's been my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It'd be great to meet you.
0: Matt was so truly lovely to chat with. He is so down to earth and approachable and he is a complete wealth of knowledge in the e-commerce space. I mean, he's been doing it since its inception practically. Matt has loads of resources for e-commerce entrepreneurs, whether you're just getting started or you're shifting your business online, or you've had an online shop for years. Be sure to connect with him online. He has a free masterclass on his website, and you can find all the ways to reach him in today's show notes by visiting kellylawson.ca. And as always, thank you again for joining me here today. I know I sound like a completely broken record each time, but I want you to know that I really mean it when I say thank you. You have hundreds of thousands of podcast options and some seriously really good business podcasts are out in the world. So the fact that you take the time to tune into my little corner of the podcast world week after week truly means everything to me. Okay, I'll stop gushing, but thank you again and bye for now.